Would you open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 9. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 9. Before we study and dive into the sermon today, uh, one of our members made me aware uh, this morning of uh, the fact that her friend had uh, passed away suddenly this week. A dear friend, and it just reminded me of someone else in the congregation who had a, uh, a dear friend and family member uh, go home to be with the Lord this week, and others in the past couple weeks who have lost loved ones, and others who are suffering in some incredible circumstances right now, uh, dealing with brokenness and struggles that we can't even imagine, and I felt like it's appropriate right now just to go before the Lord and to pray and ask for His comfort, His healing, His touch, His provision of grace for the days ahead. So can we do that now? Uh, Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King, our great high priest, the one who knows and understands The one who has been tempted in every way that we are yet without sin, our victorious Lord. And God, we pray that you would have mercy and compassion upon those who are hurting right now. Those who have lost loved ones. God, would you give comfort? Would you grant healing? Would you grant a sense of your nearness that you are with us, that you care for us, that you know our need. Thank you that you know our needs and that you delight to care for us. So, Lord, would you deliver those who are struggling with sickness, illness, depression, heartache, Lord, would you grant special grace in the days ahead as only you can. You're the source of all comfort. You are the source of all healing. You are the source that we need. So, God, we come to you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? Luke chapter nine. Verses 1 to 9. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. 
because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your special grace now by your Holy Spirit uh, that you would implant your holy, inerrant, inspired word of God deep in our hearts and that you would change us. Lord, produce glorious fruit for our Savior. I pray that our lives would bless his name. And that for those who do not yet know Jesus as Savior and Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. On first glance, you might think that this text is about the apostles. But it's really not. In the context of the surrounding paragraphs, this text focuses on the mission of Jesus, the message of Jesus, and the identity of Jesus, not the messengers of Jesus. It would be so easy to get bogged down into this specific mission that Jesus sends out the twelve on. And the temptation is, well, he sent out his disciples and this is what he gave them to do. Even winds and water and they obey him. So that's been the question that we've been addressing over the past several weeks is who then is this? That's what Luke wants us to ponder. To see Jesus in his majesty and his power and his authority to see him commanding the winds and the waves and they obey him. Commanding sickness and disease and it obeys. Bringing back a little girl from the dead. Casting out demons. And remember we said that he was training the disciples. They were right there with him. And this was in the field training. He was training them to trust him. Where's your faith? He was concerned about their faith, building their faith to trust him. But that's the question that Luke keeps driving is who then is this? And then we see it in verse 9 of chapter 9. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things, which leads us forward to chapter 9, verse 20. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered the Christ of God. And then the transfiguration in a couple of weeks, he was training them. And he was training them to trust him. And look at verse 6. It says, and they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Notice how Luke equates preaching the gospel in verse 6 
with verse 2, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. See, this is the gospel. It's the kingdom of God. It's the good news that the king has come to reconcile his people. And this kingdom is coming with signs and wonders authenticating, inaugurating that the king is here. That God is restoring people to himself through King Jesus. This equipping and empowerment of the 12 was extraordinary. Now we've said disciples and we've said apostles. Turn with me real quick over to Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, where Matthew records the same account. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles, he just equated his disciples, the 12 disciples and the 12 apostles. Remember, apostolos is sent one. So he's, they're sent out. And that's exactly what he's doing in this kind of first short-term mission trip that we're looking at in Luke 9. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Did you notice the couplets, the pairs of the 12 disciples? Well, Mark gives us a little clue on that. In Mark chapter 6, verse 7, it says, And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So here's the two by two going out. You can see the pairs going out and they are extending the ministry of Jesus. Jesus has been going to all of the villages, the towns in Galilee. He's been preaching in all of the synagogues. He's been healing. He's been demonstrating his power and authority and preaching the good news that God has come to the rescue in Jesus Christ. He sends them out two by two with power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases and to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So this equipping and empowerment was extraordinary. It was unique. He gave them the power to heal. He gave them the power to cast out demons just like he was doing. But notice also the missionary journey was short-term. It was a short-term mission trip. It was an in-the-field training exercise. And we see that because they came back you see in verse 10, 
On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. So this is just in the narrative that Luke is showing us that this was a short-term mission trip. And again, it wasn't all about them. It was about Jesus. It was short-term. This is not the Great Commission. And I want us to note that because it's important. That's coming, but that's not what this is. And we don't want to mistake the two uh, and confuse those together. The third thing is that these instructions were particular to the assignment. Look at these instructions. Verse 3, and he said to them, take nothing for your journey. Nothing. And then he expands on that, tells them what nothing means. No staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Literally, take the clothes that are on your back. Don't pack any bags. Don't take any money. Take nothing for your journey. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And really, the hospitality of the people in the town who welcome you into their home, that will tell you how long you're to stay in that town. You're not to jump from house to house in the same town. You're to go to one house in a town. Stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Now, now this was a cultural way of really expressing judgment. Shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Charlotte and I were watching something that came uh, on the internet. It was a, uh, a TikTok that was where somebody was, and these were uh, people scaring other people, like while they were plugging in something into a light socket, and somebody would come up and play the song by James Brown, I Feel Good, and it would start with a scream, and it was, you know, ah, I feel good, and they would do that right when the person was plugging something into the light socket. And the people would jump back and fall on the ground. And what was so funny is every single time they'd take off their shoe and throw it at them. You're like, wow, it, that, this must be taking place somewhere in the world where that is the cultural norm that when somebody scares you or does something like that, they, you throw your shoe at them. Well, that's, this is what was normal in the Jewish culture was to take off your Shoe and shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them for rejecting the message of the kingdom. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And we know that these instructions were particular to this short-term assignment because in Luke chapter 22... Verses 35 to 38, Luke records Jesus saying this, 
Verse 35, and he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. These instructions were particular to this short-term mission trip, this early assignment. Jesus granted them the authority and the ability to do what he had called them to do. They were to go with simplicity, with, with nothing, really just the clothes on their back. They weren't to take an extra piece of clothing. There was an urgency, go, and they went. And there was a complete dependency upon the Lord through the people that he was sending them to. And what we can learn from this is that when the Lord sends his people on mission, he provides everything that they need to accomplish all that he sends them out to do. They will lack nothing and they must trust him. So we can get a a good principle here for us in our missionary efforts right here in Savannah and to the ends of the earth. But the apostles were given power and authority to, first of all, to extend the ministry of Jesus. It was about Jesus. And the way that we know it was about Jesus is verses 7 to 9 where we see that they were sent out to expand the news about Jesus. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard all about that was happening, about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, John I beheaded, he's working through it, he's thinking through it. John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? So Herod was not hearing about the amazing ministry of the apostles. He was hearing about Jesus. Who is this about whom I hear such things. In Mark chapter 6, verse 14, Mark says, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. See, in verse 13 of Mark 6, he says, And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Verse 14, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. So really, that's what Luke wants us to know, is as the apostles 
went out in the name of Jesus and in the power of Jesus and in the authority of Jesus. They were expanding the news about Jesus that reached the ears of Herod. He heard about Jesus, not the apostles. He heard what Jesus was doing at their hands. That's the news that got to his ears and he was perplexed. Who is this? Herod says. And again, that's what Luke wants us to ponder. Who is this? Who has power and authority and sends his messengers out with power and authority that's his? Herod is perplexed, but Luke wants his readers to be persuaded and to have certainty about who Jesus is. Remember, that was from the very beginning. Luke is writing to Theophilus, I want you to have certainty about the things that you've been taught. And this is one of the ways that he's writing so that Theophilus will have certainty and that all of us will have certainty and that all who are reading this throughout the ages will have certainty of the identity of Jesus. The meaning of the text is pretty clear. It is without question that Jesus had power and authority. No question. And it is without question that he gave his apostles power and authority and they exercised it. That's without question. It's the application that's a little bit more difficult. So what do we do with that? Here are some potential pitfalls for application. What about this? Number one, casting out demons and curing diseases. Has Jesus sent us all out to cast out demons and to cure all diseases? The Bible does not indicate that. This was a particular mission. This was a specific mission. And the time of the apostles was unique and extraordinary where God was doing powerful works at their hands. But this is not something that we should say, well, Jesus gave his disciples power and authority to cast out demons and to heal, and we are his disciples, therefore we have power and authority to cast out demons and to heal. This text is descriptive, not prescriptive. It's describing what happened, not prescribing for all times what believers are to be doing. Peter Shem Jr. says this in an article or a chapter in Danny Aiken's Doctrine uh, book on theology. He says, while all believers have a sense of authority by virtue of identification with Christ, and even though Christ's authority is what guarantees victory in spiritual warfare, it does not follow that every believer is thus commissioned to a ministry of demon deliverance. 
The apostolic era was a special period of miraculous activity for the purpose of inaugurating and authenticating the gospel. Notice the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I am with you always, even until the end of the age. The Great Commission says nothing about demon deliverance in there. So that could be a pitfall is to make the application that since he commissioned his disciples to do this, he has commissioned us to do this. Now let me say this. Does Jesus work today at the hands of people to bring about healing and wholeness and demon deliverance? I say yes. I believe that he does. But it's not the norm for all believers as a part of the Great Commission. It's not normative. So don't use this text as the model for our Great Commission mandate. That's not what this text is. Remember, it's descriptive, not prescriptive. We need to recognize the reality of the uniqueness of the presence of the incarnate King Jesus and the inauguration of his kingdom, the apostolic ministry and the apostolic era. Kendall was telling me a story that his, uh, or an illustration that his seminary professor used years ago. And thinking back to the millennium, the year 2000, how Sydney had an amazing fireworks show, and it was the first one. Remember, they reached the year 2000 uh, way before we did, uh, I guess 18 hours maybe before we did. Uh, and, and the fireworks show was, was once in a lifetime. It was incredible, and it's never to be repeated. It was the most amazing fireworks show never to be repeated, maybe in a thousand years. But Disney has fireworks every single day, and they're awesome fireworks. And so some people would think that with the ministry of the apostles in that age, that the fireworks have ceased completely. And some people would say that the fireworks are normative, meaning the miraculous gifts are normative for every believer at all times. This passage is not about gifts of the Holy Spirit, ministry gifts, so we don't want to get bogged down in that. But what we can say is that it was unique at the time Jesus was sending them out with power and authority to cure diseases, to heal and cast out demons. And we don't have that as a part, excuse me, as a part of the great commission that Jesus has sent us out to reach the nations. The second pitfall may be this, carrying nothing. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. 
Remember, this was something that was unique to that mission trip. It wasn't for every mission trip that he sent them on. So let's don't take that and apply it to everything that we're doing now. This means that we're not to have any money. We're not to have any possessions. We're not to take anything with us. That's not what it's saying. Remember, it's descriptive, not prescriptive. Another one is two by two. Mark tells us two by two. Matthew gives us the pairing of the disciples. Does that mean that it is required for us, commanded for us, that when we go out doing evangelism, that we must go two by two? No, because that's not what is commanded. Is it a good model? Absolutely. Is it a good principle? Absolutely but we're not breaking the commands of Jesus if we go out in groups of three or four or even one, but it's wise for the encouragement of one another as we go out on mission for accountability and for encouragement. We need each other in the mission, but let's don't make it a commandment. That's not what this passage is. Well, if it's not these things, then really what is the main application? Remember, Luke is wanting us to be certain about the identity of Jesus. That's the main point. He wants us to know that Jesus is the king who has come to the rescue of humanity, of sinners like us. And it's only through Jesus that anyone can be reconciled. So let's be faithful knowing who he is and being faithful to the message of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, that whoever repents and believes in Jesus Christ alone for salvation will have eternal life and the forgiveness of sins and will experience Jesus and his kingdom forever and ever. Let's don't get distracted with demons and curing diseases. Let's don't get distracted by what people are saying about Jesus, like Herod, hearing that he was Elijah that had appeared, or that he was one of the prophets of old that had risen. No, Jesus Christ is the Son of God who has come to save sinners. Let's be very clear on that and let our message be fixed on Jesus and focused on Jesus. That is the only message that will save. Let's pray. Father, we pray that that you would take your word and help us Help us to be certain today of the person of Jesus Christ. We would know him as revealed in your word, and we would know him personally, that we would follow him faithfully. And for those who do not yet know Jesus, maybe those who are perplexed about Jesus, I pray that today they would be persuaded by the Spirit working through the word of God, They'll be persuaded 
that Jesus is none other than the Lord, the Christ, the Savior of the world. And that they would turn from their sins and put their trust in Jesus today. God, would you do that among us? Would you work powerfully among us? Would you show us powerful things this morning by raising the spiritually dead unto eternal life through the power of the gospel? Would you do that today and in the days to come? Would you change us as a church and change us as a people here in this community that Savannah would see that Jesus changes lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.